We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers beat the Sacramento Kings 122 to 114. And based on the talent levels of available guys of each team, that sounds like about what we should have won by in a home game. But I thought the details of it were especially interesting. We didn't shoot particularly well for most of that game. And Darren Fox's jumper was was hitting. Uh, Buddy Heald caught one a little bit. He hit seven threes. And so I was actually pretty happy with that win. And nothing more than the fourth quarter, the two-man game between LeBron James and Malik Monk. This is something that really we're building toward the playoffs. That's what the regular season is for. And you've got to find certain things that work here and there. And D, back in Cleveland, LeBron and Kyrie Irving used to run two-man game. A lot of the last five minutes of the NBA is really two guys on one side of the court that are really tough to guard with the other three ready to react on the other side of the court to however the defense reacts to them. With the two-man game of Monk and LeBron, what stands out to me so much about that is the versatility of Monk. We know what LeBron can do. We've seen this for years and years. But Darius, Monk does not defer to LeBron. If the defense is overplaying toward LeBron or gives him a little bit of an edge, he's like, I will absolutely keep the ball. I will absolutely attack and I will score on you. And he did that last night. Talk to me about what you see from uh, just a really blossoming two-man game between LeBron and Malik. I'm glad you brought up the partnership with Kyrie because that's what this reminded me of, honestly. Like in the moment, I was just like, oh, look at that. They're just going right back to it. And Monk is a legit shooter. He's also a legit bucket getter. He is Which a, are not the same thing. Yeah. No, they're not. Like he is a he is a very well-rounded scorer. Mike, you've talked about this a lot this season, just like the smoothness of him as an athlete. And that smoothness transfers to, to all of this scoring acumen and craft that he has. The part that's super interesting is that 
LeBron has been in, in these five out lineups. LeBron has really been shooting the three a fair amount, and he has been looking super comfortable in shooting and making the three. The first three quarters of the Kings game, notwithstanding, where for some reason his want to double clutch and hesitate before shooting the three was <laughs> was driving us all nuts. I think. So LeBron is drawing two in ways that I think is a little bit different than what he would typically get on an every night basis because he is drawing guys further away from the basket where normally the play is to go under that or to switch it. But guys are stepping out on him and I thought the thing that Monk was really benefiting from was this idea of, oh, well, they're scrambling back to me And what am I supposed to do now when you're the defense? Because Monk then was ball faking and jab stepping and guys were then trying to beat him to a spot that he actually was not going to. And he found himself wide open multiple times, just sort of just like, oh, hey, yeah, look, y'all fell for it. And now I'm going to sit here and basically shoot a spot up three. Now, that was one variation of that. There's so many more iterations of that. But I think the idea that Monk can do so much off of the dribble as well is what really reminded me of the Kyrie piece of this. Because it's one thing if you run those plays with Kyle Korver or with Carmelo Anthony. Wayne Ellington. Yeah. Yes. They're not threats at this point to like, oh, I got all of this in my bag. Melo's got an expansive bag, but the off the dribble bag, he looks like he's tiptoeing into pull up jumpers a lot now rather than going all the way to the basket. And so I think it's that three level ability, Mike, and that shot creation that Monk has off of the dribble that is the key bridge in this sort of action that the Lakers are running because he's so much of a threat. And I can talk about Monk all day, but I'm going to kick it to you now. Yeah, so there was a period of the fourth. The Lakers are down 102-98, and then they scored on nine straight trips down the floor. And it was literally Monk and LeBron back and forth with the exception of one layup from Westbrook that THD created. So Monk three, LeBron three, LeBron three, Monk floater. Well, kind of like a weird floater hook shot type thing. One of the various shots that he has in his bag. Another Monk three, a LeBron put back layup, then the Westbrook layup, then another LeBron layup, and then finally Westbrook at the free throw line. And Pete, did you do your rewatch already? I did, yes. Okay, so Wes, was Westbrook basically in the dunker spot? Yep. On all, on all, okay. And Westbrook's been killing it on the dunker, in the dunker spot. He's so good at that particular cut. And he is, and yet that to me, just in its own right, the fact of that is is what's so interesting, and I think is properly slotted. Whether that's Monk or He's, when that or the, whether yes. that's AD, but but again, you're this gets it's. I don't want to have a whole larger Westbrook discussion, but the fact that Monk is the guy that is better for that type of action, uh, I just think it's significant that the Laker coaching staff and whether it was LeBron or whoever was initiating that, that was how they were going to keep running things. Uh, that is a formula for the Lakers to be not unstoppable, but they're going to get a, a good shot most of those times uh, running that kind of stuff. And, and I think that's significant moving forward. I bring Anthony Davis into the context of this. Um, and I think that to your point of it's going to be very difficult to defend is that thinking of the trio of LeBron, AD and Monk, and we'll pull Westbrook into this in a, in a moment, because I do think that this slots him appropriately. But 
LeBron and AD, I'm talking last five minutes of a close game. And so the nature of basketball in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter of a close game, it's usually slower. It's, it is that half court play and you have to be able to execute. And it's usually not system basketball. It's usually that two man game that, that I mentioned a moment ago. And so a two man game with Monk and, and LeBron that you can target other opposition's guards. It's that inverted ball screen. But you also have the classic LeBron AD two-man game at the end of the game, of which Malik Monk can be a spot-up shooter on the weak side. And that can flow into second side action. And so AD being able to cut from the weak side off of LeBron and Monk action, or Monk being able to spot up off of LeBron and AD action – Westbrook is a third option or below in half-court situations, last five minutes of the game. The nature of his game, Darius, is not to break down those already set defenses or run two-man game with another player in which there's so many there's skill deficiencies in his game, specifically as a jump shooter, that make that a lesser option. But the point with the Lakers is that they've got so many other guys. This is something none can do too. None is not the the shooter that Malik Monk is, but he is more of a traditional like come off of a ball screen, hit that elbow pull up, phenomenal finisher around the rim, can hit the three ball, and so that that's going to be very difficult to defend, and it puts Russ in a position where that is what he's good at, and I think that Russ is stardom and game is a little bit misunderstood and like misapplied to that situation where that's not where he should be good it doesn't fit the characteristics of his game where Russ fits is always going to be a moving target and I think that he'll he'd be the first to tell you as well that's just like sometimes I'm here sometimes I'm there the asks change and the important part for navigating what the rest of the season is going to look look like and we've talked a little bit about this off line right is that there is a major piece still still missing with with Anthony Davis and bringing it all together and slotting guys appropriately and then getting those reps there's a learning curve still there too right and and, and so Russ is going to bristle at times because people bring things up about his game to him and then he's sort of firing back and and he's he can be confrontational at times about what the asks are of him and how he's performing within them. But you're right, Pete, the idea of where Russ should be is exactly where he was on that play where the Lakers did run a LeBron Monk pick and roll on one side of the floor. Then THT is the guy who is the pressure release mm-hmm. and then circling up to the top of the key. Yep. He gets the ball. He gets downhill. Now the defense is collapsed and he's got an easy drop off pass for a layup to Russell Westbrook. The thing about Russ that is, I think, too often glossed over about him is he is such a physical player. And he is such a strong and good finishing guard when he has both of his feet underneath him. Yes, this is a different type of layup than the ones that we see him miss. He doesn't miss this particular shot very often because he's not going 100 miles an hour toward the basket as he shoots it. And and so w- the Russ in the dunker spot idea is like, well, yeah, guess what? You've normally got a small guy on him or a player who is 6'3", 6'4". So if that's your help, 
at the back line, whether it's LeBron going to the basket, whether it's Malik Monk going to, to the basket, or whether it's THT, guess what? Those guys challenge, and if they do challenge, it makes the dump off even easier, or the finish over the top is fine for guys LeBron size or THT size. So the Lakers didn't shoot the ball well for most of the game, and especially from the starting lineup. In fact, both LeBron and Russ were 6 for 18 uh, at one point before LeBron went on his crazy stretch. But they won the game because they only turned the ball over five times. And we made a lot out of like in the postgame, a lot of the questions, especially with Russ, because he had zero turnovers. Well, last game he had nine. But the context there, I think, was that Russ was more aggressive looking for his own shot. Um, he was seven for 19 and he just didn't have the ball in as many situations where he had to make those kind of decisions, whether it was Dunker spot or something else. So like LeBron had two turnovers, TSG had two and Monk had one. And that was it. And that's that to me is just an interesting part of this formula where, again, you're kind of what Pete was saying about Russ, where you're going to start to AD gets back and kind of maximize the stuff that he's good at and can support and minimize some of the situations uh, where, you know, in which he was it was turning the ball over a lot. Right. And especially some of the the unnecessary turnovers that LeBron talks about, not the ones that are that are coming. So LeBron's LeBron Pete is an interesting part of uh, kind of hit what what he did last night moving forward that I, I wanted to get into some, but I, I'm sure you have something else in mind as well for the second segment. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's let's talk about exactly that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, for the first three quarters of that game, it was LeBron's, probably LeBron's worst game in a while. And there is a, a certain degree of, he's playing 37 minutes a game, Mike. That's something that, you know, ideally that's not something that he'll be asked of him going forward. Is that a concern that you have? Is that, look, it's great. We're putting up these wild offensive numbers. We score a buck 22 on a night where we don't shoot well for three quarters. Um, but are you worried about a progressive fatigue and, uh, you know, his his game starting to not be able to hold up under under the ask? There's some combination of mental and physical ask on the uh, of LeBron on this team, especially without AD, and especially with playing the bulk of his minutes now, at least defensively as the center. That I just think that the Lakers have to bring into the whole calculus of the team. But you're not really going to. It's not so much if LeBron were at 34 minutes instead of 37. I'd feel that differently. Like that's for a guy that's played the third most combined playoff and regular season minutes ever, you know, I, I'm not making a big deal out of the difference between a couple here and there. It's more just what is he supposed to do 
and what does he have to do for them to win games? And I'm just curious if there if there are going to be more games like this, Darius, and if it's because of what the ask is as opposed to what it was before. But like I think LeBron figures that out usually himself. And so I don't worry about it that much. It was just interesting because he didn't have that extra step until he really had to have it. And then he did. And guess what? The Lakers won the game because of it. It's just a it's something I've been thinking about. And I'm curious what you guys think. In our text thread, I called it the rope-a-dope. I thought he rope-a-doped the game, basically. I thought LeBron was just like, this is what, year four of LeBron in Los Angeles? Isn't that crazy? I've gotten a good feel for him now as like an every game player. And one of the things that I've noticed is maybe five to ten times a year. So more than you think, but still not very many. LeBron says... And you could see it during the game. I think in his mind, he is thinking, yep, this is a game where I'm going to do less. Hopefully my other guys have it. And if they do, I'm going to keep up a baseline level of what needs to happen for us to basically stay in it or whatever. But guess what? I'm not pushing that foot down on the gas at all. Like, if I could avoid it, nope, slow lane cruising, Sunday driving for LeBron James, as my dad used to call it. I thought that that's what this game was. It was a sigh, oh, maybe we'll get some from Monk. Oh, look, THT is getting his. Oh, great. Russ. Dwight. Dwight. Dwight's playing great. Right, right. And it was sort of just like, and then, but I will say, LeBron also has these games where he's just like, oh, man, like. Double clutching on my jumper a little bit, or I'm frustrated with the refs, or like my offensive game isn't as clean as I'd like. I thought I got fouled there. And LeBron's human too. He's not immune from some in-game frustrations. Mm -hmm. And I thought in the Venn diagram of LeBron James, this game was sort of right in the middle of that. He was a bit frustrated with his own play. He was also like a foot off the gas sort sort of game and those two things kind of coalesce to a thing where it's just like, ah, yeah, this LeBron's not really playing very well. And then in the fourth quarter, I think blood was in the water a little bit and he felt the need to turn it on. And this is where I think Pete it's sort of the greatness of of LeBron that at this stage of his career, he can still summon it. And yes. that's how I sort of saw this game going. Pete, before you get to that, Darius, you know, I don't know if your dad has spent any time in Minnesota, but the slow lane driving thing I haven't found applies much in California, specifically in Los Angeles. I, to me, they're pretty much always fast and they're always at least 10 to 15 miles faster uh, than the freeways uh, back in Minnesota. So I just want to put that out there. Slow lane uh, on on the specific L.A. highways and, and not the metaphor I get. So I just want to throw that out there. So, Mike, my dad grew up in Hawaii, so it's a different pace. Oh, for oh, so, there you go. so that's there you a go. different pace entirely. <laughs> now right? I got you. So so that vibe, that <laughs> that island vibe of slow lane Sunday afternoon, because after being in California for a while, Sunday driver was a pejorative. It was not a, yeah. <laughs> right? It was not a, oh, like we're cool and hanging out. We're going to the beach. No, it was like, look, I have to get somewhere. I don't care. Yeah, speed up. I don't care about you, you Sunday driver, right? And, and, and so, 
with there was other colorful language mixed in there too. But but you get the gist of it all. So LeBron being able to Sunday drive on a Tuesday for three quarters and us still being able to win the game represents a sign of progress for the team. LeBron didn't play particularly well. Russ's game was intriguing to me in that he did have the ball a decent amount. His just decision making in terms of when do I try to squeeze through this little ray of light, which is part of his game. Like there's a good part to that and there's a bad part to that. But he was very much had that dial turn to I'm not doing that. And so it seemed like he didn't have the ball as much as he did. And I think that even within him, like his role on this team and his like, how do I uplift my teammates the most, which is something that's very important to him that he says is there's a different answer to that question than there's ever been on any other team that he's ever played on. And so that's going to be intriguing, seeing him go from a nine turnover game to a zero turnover game and finding where that dial is in terms of the aggressiveness, where is the the sweet spot. And there's a certain degree of repetition that has to happen before that's possible. But Russ not shooting the ball particularly well, not distributing in part because he's not being very aggressive, LeBron not playing well. And I thought the Kings played a good game for overall. I thought they they played fairly well. And so while there isn't this like, oh, we beat Sacramento at home, let's celebrate. When you take a closer look at the context of how it happened, I thought that this was a game to bring it back to your original point, Mike, about the wear and tear on LeBron and the asks of him. I thought he got to not not chill for three quarters that because that's not what what happened but he didn't have to be incredible the entire game for us to win this game and we got that contribution from THT we got that contribution from Dwight and so it was a really good team with Malik of course and, and so him not having to be incredible every second of, of his play I think is a sign of progress well, and it's also it's such a, a big thing so we've talked about some of the context some games this year and a lot of them recently where LeBron has been amazing and the Lakers have just lost one way or the other uh, in where like, oh, man, you got that LeBron effort and they still lost like at Memphis. Right. And mm-hmm. if the Lakers find a way to win that one to hold on, then all of a sudden, like they have a legit, you know, chance. They, it should have been a five game winning streak, um, really. And and that's yep. f- however you get there for this Lakers season that does represents some progress and now what you what you now get before Friday's game you get a day off for LeBron a full day off like Wednesday today uh, there is no nothing required and that for LeBron is huge and that's that's something I think again that portends so well for the playoffs but I expect him to be pretty sharp on Friday and and that's something that now the Lakers can look to build further so I want to go to break here and I don't want to be a wet blanket but I do want to talk about maybe some of the things that concern some from the Kings game. And is that insight to the future or was it just like, oh, well, not everyone plays good every night sort of thing. So, Pete, last night we're in the text thread and we're like, man, every unit looks good except for the starting group. (laughs) Uh Right. So a lot of bench units looked great. Like there was a point in time actually where LeBron was something like a minus six or minus eight and Russ was like a plus 10 and all of these bench players were were a plus 10. And that was that was like right near the end of that third quarter run. Right. And and, and so I don't want to take too much of that from LeBron's minus number, but all of the starters were that that, that starting group struggled and. I'd love to just get your initial thoughts on what it 
what you saw from that specific group because Trevor Ariza replaced Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup. And I thought Ariza struggled a fair amount in mm-hmm. this game. And I thought it changed the dynamic of the starting group in in, in a couple of different ways. Um, but maybe that's just a one-game sample. But I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts about what you saw from the starting group and whether or not you thought Ariza played a significant role in that or if it was just a, hey, this group never played together before and here it is for the first time. I think it was more indicative of a larger issue with respect to athleticism. I think that you can have Bradley or Ariza, but having both of them, just in the context of this particular team, I think the more time that goes by, the more athleticism and outside shooting become right at the top of attributes that you need to surround the the top three guys with. And so that having Bradley and Ariza on the floor at the same time, I think detracts from that a little bit. Ariza at this point is mostly getting by on wiles and he knows where to be and is still, you know, getting his, his win back is still, you know, getting reacclimated. This was his first start, but I think that there's, he, he moves around like a 36 year old D like, this is something that like, it's not a surprise, but I think in context of our team that, athleticism is really important in this group. And Mike, I thought we missed Stanley Johnson in this game, which is not to say that in a vacuum, he's a better player than Trevor Ariza. And there are certainly playoff questions about him, playoff questions about Monk and and all that. But uh, I think that Stanley Johnson's athleticism is something that, that we really missed in that game. And it speaks to a broader point about the team. So it was it was funny before the game. I had sent a I think I sent it in the text thread, but I definitely tweeted about it. But the I was getting my Darius on and going through some of the lineup data and realizing that oh wait, Stanley Johnson's starting lineup with LeBron at center is the fifth most used lineup of this season already. Incredible, Just stupid. Like in thirty six minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. And, well and I hate, you know I the stuff that bugs me about the the lineup data is that it doesn't mean that much in a small sample size, but it's all small sample size for the Lakers. So like, I guess we, so we're, we're still going to do something with it. And, and therefore, <laughs> therefore, what's up Briggs? Um, I, I'm just looking at it like, all right, if that was a 129 on offense and a 115 on defense group, well, that makes some sense. Really good on offense, struggling on defense, they have to figure it out. But then you take a drop, you take the athleticism out, because that's what Johnson represents in that group. And maybe you get some shooting with Ariza, but the shots weren't falling for the group. And and so then you're, that's going to take a hit. But I'm. it's a little bit like the last podcast we did, and we had the same conversation. All right, well, let's see what if they bring Stanley Johnson back. Let's see what Ariza looks like for a while. That's the spot that still has to be figured out because AD is going to come back. He's going to start. But we have to figure out, okay, how much of this can Johnson do? How much of it can Ariza do? And, and then we'll, we'll have an answer soon. Well, I'm going to be very interested to see if when AD comes back, if he doesn't replace that specific spot, right? And so we started the pod talking about Monk. Monk is making his case, guys, to be a starting player for the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm -hmm. And Avery Bradley, I think, has made his case. Like, I should start for this team. Now, maybe in the bigger picture that should be Austin Reeves or maybe like like a little bit more size or someone who has a little bit more connectivity and ball handling or or just whatever right but 
if you're saying, Russ, you can defend up a position. Yeah, he started two, on Harrison Barnes. And right? he's done that a couple times, defending threes and, and fours, yeah. And so, yeah, against the Warriors, he's probably going to defend Andrew Wiggins. Mm. There's a bunch of stuff like that, that that's that's going to happen. It's a, it's a great way to put it. Like, obviously, AD re- replaces all of that right in that in that spot if you want to start that way. And, and so, yeah, so that works, too. And and so when I so I'm looking at Ariza last night, one of the things that I noticed about Ariza, especially in in his first shift is like, oh, he's not really fluid within the context of what they want to do on offense even like there was a play that stood out to me where the Lakers run this screen the screener set and it's for their shooters basically and it's an action where you're really trying to get the ball to the second guy who comes off of a screen they run it for Carmelo a lot and and they've run it for Wayne Ellington a lot but first guy comes off a screen and he curls into the paint and then the and then one of the guys who it's like a bunch formation with three guys like on on uh, the right side wing. And so they ran that action. Ariza set the first screen. I think THT came off or maybe it was Bradley, but someone came off and then THT and then. Ariza was supposed to set that second screen again for like LeBron for LeBron to come off and he didn't. And so. Russ had the ball at the top of the key and he's looking for this action to develop. And then Braun is sort of looking at Ariza and then he just sort of pushes Ariza on the hip. Like our spacing's bad. You're just standing right next to me. Mm-hmm. Go stand up there. And meanwhile, Russ is just dribbling the air out of the ball. And it looks like a bad possession at the end. Cause I think Russ might've settled for like a 16 footer or something like that. But really it's like, Hey, Trevor Ariza, you didn't know what you were doing. Right. On, how, how, big, how big of a problem is that in 10 games? I don't think it's a problem at all, but it's interesting to me that there is stuff that athleticism covers up for. This is a great point. Yes. There's an element of, hey, just run over there and do it fast or cut hard here or just be physical that Ariza, he doesn't have as much of that anymore. And what he does have left, he combines that with mental aptitude right and knowing where to be and so if i thought against the kings both of that was a little bit off and so i thought it diminished him as a player long term i obviously still see ariza as having a key role for this group especially when his jumper is falling but i just thought the combination of those guys looked a little interesting last night. And I thought that, yeah, they missed Stanley Johnson's athleticism and and his pop. I thought that that brings something to that starting lineup. Frank Vogel has said that coming into the season, the plan was to start AD at, at the five with Trevor Ariza being the player that flanks LeBron and AD. And from seeing him on the floor and for not that long, and he's still – you you brought up a great example of learning the playbook and you know getting used to acclimating with the team but from watching the team for nearly half of a season now the i don't think that's the way to go anymore i like i totally see the the vision for it but i think that having athleticism in that spot having uh, you know, it, it either needs to be an athlete or a shooter. I'm super curious. First off, before we go to that fifth spot, Mike, 
where are you at on Monk? On is it like he's certainly making his case for a great fit? I have we ha- we have to have the Malik in the playoffs conversation at some point in the near future. But he's hooping, Mike. Is he somebody who you think has secured one of those spots next to LeBron, Russ, and yeah, AD? For for sure. I just I don't know how I could have watched what he's done these last couple of weeks and not taken note because he's also I think competed pretty well on defense. And and one of you guys made a point in the text thread like he's. He's contesting jump shots, but like really contesting that them. That was Darius. Yeah. yeah, he gets up so high. Yeah, yeah. So like he's and he's um he's getting his hands on balls. Like he blocked. A, he got a, a a block. He got a steal. Some deflections. He's working, and I just think that when you put somebody of his dynamism on offense next to LeBron, it just makes defenses anxious because like well, there's LeBron there. So how much attention can we re- and Many players have benefited from this, right? Uh, most recently, Anthony Davis next to LeBron. But when you get a guy that's got that much pop, I just I just really love what that fit is. And I'm sold on that. And, and I think that here's where I'll, I'll make my traditional comparison to the previous team that won. Now that I think they're getting towards what an identity is going to be, and of course it's different from that team, then I do think you can be flexible to an extent with the guys that are that are alongside um, the way that the team is playing as a core, if not just the personnel, if that makes sense. But all right, AD's at the five, LeBron's at the four. He's going to play a lot of center. Um, in, in fact, he might even play some center when AD's on the court with him. Russ is going to be doing mm-hmm. this. He's going to be at times a little bit more in the dunker spot than at other times. You know, Monk is going to be out there a lot of times as a creator or THT can come in and do some stuff. And then who the players are that fill around that, I, I do like I think you can pick and choose a bit based on matchups. And that's where that's where Frank Vogel has really called the right numbers in in recent years. And I'm and I'm anxious for them to be able to get back to that. And and I do think Monk's a key part of it. Here's the thing. The other night, Russ said, I'm allowed to shoot poorly. I'm allowed to have turnovers. And he is 100 percent right. Everyone's allowed to have bad games. You know who's going to be allowed to have some bad games too? Malik Monk. Mm-hmm. The idea of. Let's take the name out of it. The skill set that he represents is an excellent skill set to slot in the starting lineup with the style of play that this team wants to play. And that's why I think Monk is making his case because he's like the lone dude on the roster who has this specific skill set, right? And so there's a reason why, Pete, like that... Monk's lineup data is as strong as as it is. It's it's because when the team is playing the style of play that best suits this roster, he is going to be successful, right? And he, he the hasn't had a bad game. He's, a just said, Darius, he's allowed to have a bad game. He hasn't had one in like two weeks. He's he's shot over fifty percent. One, two, three, four, five, six straight games. Pete, you used the phrase "fish to water." when you're talking about Stanley Johnson and sort of that athleticism and run around and, and hustle and, oh, small ball, big style of guy. He's got some handles. He's not scared to shoot. He is just one of those dudes who's going to fit in. Look, Malik Monk, in his own way, is the exact same fish to yep. water for mm-hmm. this style of play. Oh, I, I get to handle the ball some. Oh, I get to create my own shot. I get to get downhill. Oh, I get to play, play screen and roll with LeBron James. I get to pop into space and there's no one around me or the guy who is around me, he's literally sprinting at me to take away the open jumper and now I just get to drive or 
oh, we ran screen and roll with LeBron. And now I've got a big guy on me and I get to try to cook in space against a big dude. These are all rank the things that he wants in front this of is him what I do. From, from a defense. This is who I am. Exactly. Is, and, and that's something, that phrase right there is something that LeBron echoes when talking about his teammates all the time is, we want you to be who you are. We want Russ to be Russ. We want Malik to be Malik. Like, we want to put them in positions to succeed at the things that they're already good at. One of the things that I'm excited about about that fish to water fit for Monk is that I think it portends really well for none. And I think that on this particular team in this particular style with LeBron and Russ in particular being being the guys that are flanking them, I think a speed guard, the idea of a small, quick guard who can get his own bucket, that can run with you in transition, that can chase over the top of screens, that can close out to the three-point line very quickly is something that just within this specific build, we talk about Russ. Russ is a bigger point guard defender, and he's somebody that will defend twos and threes. And so who is the guy that's going to chase around the small, quick guys defensively? Like we've talked so much about the offensive fit of a Malik, and and and, and even none will fit into that in, in a similar way. But also defensively, having those fast guys that can cover space on the perimeter. And so Malik's improvement in, like he's making fewer recognition mistakes than he did at the beginning of the season on defense which is no coincidence that he's starting now and that frank is trusting him to close games like all those things tie together like if he's gonna get beat by battles of strength somebody overpowers him someone takes advantage of his size that's something that like you know that going into being on the floor but him being able to recognize situations and not be one of those things d where like he with another defender goes to one guy and leaves another player open which he was doing over and over again at the beginning of the season and that's why i was like earlier in the year i was like look he's great he's so much fun as a scorer but this is not going to work defensively and just the reduction of those types of mistakes puts him in a different category of player for me well mike there's a meeting in the middle too with this right that frank has simplified things and and he and he is a teacher of defense right and so he's if there's one thing i trust frank vogel to do it's to be prepared and to get his players prepared and if he understands that all right well we've got to scale down in order to get you as prepared as i need you to be in order to execute the game plan that i think is going to work against this specific opponent i think frank vogel's a good enough coach to make those adjustments and we're seeing it and so Monk, too, is is a player. He has ped degree. He has talent. He's a prideful dude. He's someone who just talked the other day, right, about, man, it was humbling not having anyone really wanting to sign me during the offseason. And, and now to come here and to have this role, he probably sees this as a pathway, too, to be like, no, nah, man, like, I belong. I'm good. I can contribute to a winner. Y'all thought I was a loser, right? Like, I was the guy who couldn't crack a lineup in Charlotte, and now I could potentially start for a team who has championship aspirations. Like, sign me up. And he seems ready to do the things that is asked of him in order to play at that level. Now, is that going to come with mistakes and flaws? Sure, that, but that's every player. So what can you, Pete, you've talked about this a lot too, but like what can you bring to the table and then what are you taking off? And over the course of 40, of close to 440 games now, Monk is taking less and less off of the table while still putting all of the stuff, 
on it that he, you expect from a player who has his pedigree and talent level, particularly offensively? The the skill set that he has, like, and I think part of this mental challenge for Malik in the NBA has been that he has always been great at basketball since he was a kid. He's always just been good. And so he got to the end. He was good at Kentucky. He gets to the NBA as a lottery pick and just something wasn't quite clicking. And we can go into all that on a separate Monk podcast. But he is so he's never lost that self-belief. But I think there's been some frustration with the whole thing. And he, But he has had some believers, including, as we learned last night, LeBron James apparently talking to Jason Kidd, watching him, thinking, all right, hold on, there he's out of the rotation now in Charlotte? Like, can we just get him now? And so he's had some believers still. And now I think there's a lot – like, he really wants to reward that, that belief, not just from the Lakers, but from LeBron James. Like, who better to validate your game than LeBron? And who better LeBron's who who's willing to play two man game with you? Who's willing to give you the ball? Like that that's just such a an important, I think, thing for Malik Monk, not just for right now, but for his career moving forward, um, to to sort of feel that kind of belief. And he's rewarded the Lakers with it. Last six games, guys, 45% from three, making 3.3 per game. He's plus 10.7, 57% from the field overall, 21 points. Uh, you know, assist to turnover has been fine. Two to one, like two assists, one turnover. He's rebounding a little bit in 1.2 blocks in that period. So, you know, like he's it's uh, it's very encouraging and I want to see it stay right where it's at. Very much so. He's been an absolute joy to to watch. And I think that uh, we're seeing more of the puzzle pieces start to click into place. We'll be back tomorrow. Dwight had some interesting run in yesterday's game in the broader conversation that we've been having. We'll cover that and a whole lot more here on the Laker Film Room podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is lying. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.